Welcome to the Managing People podcast, a place for people with curious minds. Hello, I'm Pete Fullard, and my guest this time was voted one of HR's most influential thinkers. She's a great speaker, a business coach, and is no stranger to winning awards. You'll hear she brings a lot of love to the podcast this time. After a career honing her skills, she formed her own consultancy specializing in inclusivity, and she and her team help organizations create a culture that allows everyone to thrive. Aggie Matuma, welcome to the Managing People podcast. Thank you, Pete. Happy to be here. We're very delighted to have you on. Um, let's start with where your career began. Tell us the story from the beginning. Sure. Gosh, the very, very beginning um, actually started in a fast food chain um, when I was at school, still doing my, my um, A-levels. And and I, I mentioned that, I actually mentioned that because I think that was a really, really important intro for me into the world of work, relationships, Um Almost that that service piece as well, which I think, uh, and I'll talk about it a little bit later on when we talk about leadership and actually everything I do now, that piece around service and you're here to serve a, a customer, a client, and you're here to help them get their meal, obviously when I started, but now obviously you're helping them to uh, gain their inclusive organizations. So started in, in a fast food chain, uh, not the one of the big M's, the other one with a crown. <laughs> so take from that what you will. And absolutely loved it, actually. Then um, through uni, et cetera, again, stayed in retail. So again, that piece around service and working with people and helping to engage people. And as I was uh, working in retail, I became a shop floor supervisor, loved working with people. I hadn't really thought about HR or the people space before. Um, a lot of the industries and professions I understood were the traditional ones that you see as a child. And um, But actually, when I was a supervisor, recruiting, training, etc., I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And that's where I became aware of the people profession. I was actually studying for my first degree engineering. <laughs> Surprise, always surprises people. Um, so like I said, developed a lot for people, moved to head office uh, for the organization I was working in at the time, the RKD group, and um, then did a stint in customer service. Again, back to that service piece again, a stint in customer services, then moved into HR. Now, Aggie, I can't let it go by. You were doing an engineering degree. What was the original motivation behind that then and what changed? Well, I, well, you know me, Pete. So I am um, a very open person and I also um, don't like to be pinned down to one thing. I'm quite open around doing different things. So the degree itself was a combined studies degree. So there was an element of, um, a huge element of engineering. So that was the main pit, uh, main piece. Then there was production, um, HR, marketing, a bit of IT as well within that. So it was a beautiful combined, lots of different things to explore. Then you can then narrow down. But the main piece was manufacturing systems engineering. Wow. Yes. So that was a slight different change in direction. The interesting thing about the, uh, the, the degree, um, I still use it. I still use it just in terms of design thinking. Um, and when it comes to thinking about strategy and what we're doing and why, I always go back to some of those principles from that degree around why we're doing what we're doing, what is the outcome we're trying to achieve, and how do we then design, engineer backwards that strategy, design and engineer backwards that approach that we want to take. So, yeah. That's fascinating how you link the two together. And um, what were the management styles that you encountered in the uh, the first few retailers that you worked with then? Really interesting, really interesting, because I think retail is beautiful and that depends which part of retail you're working in. But then equally, it depends on the person in front of you, doesn't it? 
So I experienced a variety. I experienced um, this beautiful leader um, who was just a lovely person, really, really lovely person, really engaging, uh, really wanted to look after her team. And she did a great job at that. What she didn't do very well, however, was manage uh, performance. Uh, so she struggled with the tough conversations. She struggled with um, um, addressing poor behavior. Um, and while I understand why she did, she she struggled with those, the impact that it had on the others who were performing, on the others who were showing up in the right way was that actually they become became disgruntled because they were seeing poor behavior being allowed. So big learnings for me around that. Um, I also had um, a leader who was um, uh, great in terms of, um, again, that engagement piece, but also was able to address poor behavior. He was quite uncomfortable with it. You could tell he was uncomfortable, but at least he addressed it, which was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So again, that was good learning. I also had interesting leaders, <laughs> I'm going to call them. <laughs> Let's just say they hadn't quite developed yet. Um, so a couple of leaders who wanted to, um, or it felt like they wanted to own the work that their team did as in, oh, look what I did. Mm, did you though? So there was an interesting piece around that. And then a lot of leaders who hadn't yet found their authentic style, um, or weren't comfortable yet in their authentic style, um, in that depending who was in front of them, you'd almost see a different person. Um, so yeah, lessons in all of those. So that's fascinating. You were clearly studying management from right from the get-go. What happened next in your career? Right. So um, progressed in um, Arcadia. And I guess the how was a lot of it was just showing up as myself, taking the learnings. And I think that point you made actually around, um, you didn't use this quite, use this language, but making those connections um, as I'm learning, as I'm watching, as I'm, I'm always sort of soaking things in, soaking learning in and applying it to myself as well. Um, I then progressed to a bigger role in a small airport retailer, um, which was amazing because I'd gone from this huge organization where I guess I, I was a small fish to use terminology or, or adages that we all know, small fish in a big pond to a big fish in a tiny pond. And that was my first role really as a manager, um, managing a very small team. There were two <laughs> tiny team, um, but it was actually beautiful in that I was able to apply all my learning, apply all my knowledge um, from a leadership point of view in terms of leading a team. Who are we? What do we want to be? How do we want to serve? That service piece coming back. How do we want to serve our, our, our clients, our customers? And then that design thinking piece, uh, again, around as an HR team, how do you want to impact this um, organization? What are the challenges that we're experiencing? And then how can we, as an HR team, uh, solve those? Um, so it was brilliant, uh, absolutely brilliant, uh, brilliant experience. And I think the key things that I took from that or to that first, actually, were that piece around authentic leadership, um, again, from my learnings in, in my previous organization, and also, I would say that piece around delivering bad news and being okay with doing that, but doing it with love. So love, love is a word I use a lot, but doing that with love and understanding that actually someone underperforming, they probably don't feel that great. They probably know that they're, they're not hitting the mark right now and they're probably feeling quite concerned. But being able to say to the person, look, let's talk. Here are the expectations of your role that hopefully we've set at the beginning so you know what they are already. How do, how do you think things are going? What do you think 
think is going well? What do you think is not going so well? Uh, in most cases, they'll highlight the things that you already knew. They know already too. So you can then say, well, I agree. These are the pieces that you're doing really brilliantly and let's keep doing that. But here are the pieces where you need some help. What can I do to support you to bridge that gap? But actually, what are you going to do as well? So giving them that ownership, but also there's some ownership on your part as well. And making it an, an us problem that we're going to solve together as opposed to where you're doing a terrible thing and you're bad at your job. Um, so that's something that I, I, t- I took with me from that knowledge. And I applied it very quickly, um, actually, because um, when I joined the team, they had a different way of management. We'll just put it that way. Previously, um, it was quite um, reactionary. Um, it was uh, old fashioned HR, I'm going to call it in that we come to HR when we've messed something up and we need them to fix it or when something's going really wrong. Whereas my my approach to HR is it's strategic. You know, when you think about most organizations, the biggest um, spend on your on your uh, balance sheet tends to be people or your profit and loss, wherever you put your, put your uh, people spend tends to be your people. So actually, how do we maximize? How do we engage? How do we um, bring to potential our people? I think is really crucial for businesses. Um, so yeah, very quickly had to practice that piece around, um, here's the expectations, here's where we need to be, here's where we want to be as a team and why it's really important for the organization. We're not quite there yet. Let's have the conversation. Um, what else, what else can I say about that? The piece around stakeholder management as well was really important. So working with my colleagues in operations and, um, um, uh, being really business savvy, And what I mean by that is not necessarily stepping into their shoes and running their operations or knowing how, but certainly being aware of what their challenges are, what's important for them. Um, And then again, how can I and my team serve uh, that team with the ultimate aim aim of serving the business? It's always crazy not to invest in them and nurture them, really, which which is brilliant. And did you find that with a smaller team, you had a lot more responsibility, but a lot more ability to act and make change. Yes, yes, I, I loved it. I really, there was this freedom, like I said, freedom to act. And in bigger organisations, and for, for the right reasons in most cases, there are some very clear um, lines of operations, aren't there? Or almost silos sometimes in, in the way they end up operating sometimes. But in a smaller organisation, there is definitely this ability to, I call it cross-pollinate, to almost cross-pollinate across many different functions. And, you you know, your ideas are heard very quickly and you're able to make those connections in such a beautiful way. Did you have to make any changes internationally for different cultures? Yes. And that's, um, I loved that. That was really new for me, actually, because I understand different cultures just because of my background as a human being. Um, but then in terms of in the workplace, I'd worked for UK centric organisations and in, in retail, very similar in terms of, of the cultures. But this organisation, just looking at and watching and uh, finding out how different cultures operate. There are People are people, obviously, and people are individuals, but there are rules and there are norms that you can sort of observe as you're in different cultures. Um, so, yes, there were some tweaks and some amendments about our culture, but most of it was about service and um, what does the client need, what does the customer need, and those, those things which are transferable across any culture, really. Yeah, absolutely. So where next? Where next? Okay, so next, I have to think about it, you know, it's, it's such a long time ago. Ah, so next I went into an organisation which I will not name. I will not name them. Um, I had my first uh, daughter and the international role was brilliant. I was promoted a number of times and then ended up being in, in a role where there's a lot of travel. 
um, which didn't quite work with the baby. So I moved to a, a, an organization and um, learnings from this as well. Interestingly, the culture was awful. The culture was awful. There's, there's no other way to, to describe it. Um, HR team and the HR leader, another beautiful person. But if I go back to the um, original person I heard talks about who couldn't deliver bad news and wouldn't deliver bad news, uh, this HR director was that in the extreme, in the complete extreme. In that, um, in the wider organisations, there was a lot of really bad behaviour, um, bullying. Um, there was, it was just people showed up and almost like were hiding. Um, they would do the minimum, bare minimum, as to not get noticed. And then, yeah, I think it was awful. The turnover in the HR team was the worst in the whole organisation because people join the HR team, um, values-based people, people who understand HR, the power of, of, you know, leading your people in the right way. That was not what the organization was doing at all. And um, I'm not really one to necessarily sort of bail quickly. Um, and I'll tend to try to have a kind, compassionate conversation, but an, an honest conversation as well. So I had a couple of conversations with the HR director around um, what I was seeing out in the organization, the behaviors that were being displayed, and also the impact that was having on, on leaders, you know, with lots of leaders off ill. And usually, even in an organization with terrible absence records, it doesn't tend to be leaders and managers, but in this organization, it was stress and all sorts of things. Um, and she just didn't understand in her mind, she'd been in the organization for, I think, 25, 30 years. So she thought that was just the real world. She thought, oh, Aggie, this is just the real world. You'll, you'll get it. You'll understand. I was like, well, I have worked in other organizations and bigger organizations. And, you know, you've seen my CV, you know where I've come from. This is not the way to operate. And I'm not suggesting the other cultures were perfect. However, this is not the way to operate. And we're losing people. And look how much we're spending in recruiting and replacing them. Um, so she wasn't listening. She wasn't hearing it. And she wasn't really willing to make a change. And I hadn't made the decision to change roles yet. I just was approached by someone about another organization, Tesco Stores Limited. Um, so went for the interview, was successful, and then moved. But the learnings from, from the organization I left definitely were just around, sometimes if a place isn't right for you, it's okay to move. You know, it's okay to move. I would say try, if you can, to um, have conversations, try to make an impact, um, try to change the situation if you can. But if, if it's not going to work, then there's nothing wrong with moving on to something else, which is what I did. And I loved, loved my time um, in Tesco. Very interesting organization. Uh, and I'll say this, but I don't think it's anything new, but it's one of those organizations where you either love it because you're also quite fast paced. You um, are very intentional about what you're doing um, or it's a bit too much for you and it doesn't work. So, yeah, I think people tend to be in one camp or the other. I was in the in the in the former. And this was the first organization, actually, that really thought and talked about behaviors, behaviors, um, feelings, um, which is really interesting. So the thing around feelings and how we feel in the workplace um, and the impact that has on how we perform. Um, a lot around our mindset as well, which again was really new, but I love, I love, I soak up all this kind of stuff. So I loved it. Um, so yeah, loved, really, really loved uh, Tesco for many reasons. And then also there was a lot of structure around 
um, our behaviors. If you're at this level in the organization, these are the behaviors we expect from you. Technically, this is what we expect, but actually behaviors we expect. At this level, this are, these are behaviors. This, this is all quite new for me based on my experience beforehand as well. That's fascinating. And I have to ask, if the uh, unnamed company before Tesco's, if that was the first place you'd worked in HR, how do you think things would have been different? Gosh. Mm. See, I think if that was the first place I'd worked in HR, I don't know how different things would have been. I think I would have still been in a place where this isn't right. This doesn't feel right. This cannot be the way in which um, people are expected to behave. This cannot be the limit of my influence in terms of how people feel at work. And I say that because um, there's two reasons, two reasons I say that, because um, when I was growing up, and which I didn't say, which I'll say now, when I was growing up, I remember um, sitting around the dinner table or just hearing the grown-ups, I was a child at the time, speaking about work. And a lot of the conversations were grumbles, you know, um, people were not feeling like they're being listened to, uh, people with managers who weren't very polite. And in my mind, even as a child, I thought to myself, they won't work for most of the day, they work for so long. How can we make that workplace a nice place? Because that can't feel nice to be in this place where you're not listened to, you're not heard, someone's being rude to you. Um, so I think for me, HR is almost vocational. So in my mind, there's always this, there's got to be better. We've got to, we've got to be able to do better. This can't be the answer. So I think had be that place, almost said it, had that organization been <laughs> my first experience in HR. I think I'd have still been in a place where, no, this this is not the answer. This can't be right. There's there's got to be better. We've got to do better. And if I can't do it here, I need to find somewhere else where I can. Fabulous. You'd have definitely stuck with it and found a better place, I know. <laughs> So a wonderful time at Tesco. Um, what happened to cause you to move on from there then? Yes. So I um, I had a couple of roles in Tesco. So I moved around, got promoted and all that beautiful stuff. But I think the important thing to say is that it always depends on who's leading you at that particular time. And also sometimes you can grow out of, uh, grow out of a role and that next role for you isn't ready yet. So for me, it was a combination, a combination of both. I won't say too much about the, the leadership piece, but um, I went through a development program. So Tesco are great at, you know, spotting talent and then putting them through, putting them through development and then getting them ready for the next role. Um, I was selected to someone who was awesome, which is great as a part of a group, went through a development program, then I was ready for my next role. But then as happens, the right role didn't come up. A couple came up, but they were abroad um in different parts with had a young family and then a couple came up with a bit of travel but again with a young family that wasn't going to work so I just got to a place where it just yeah it was time time to move on time to move on um then I ended up in mother care loved 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 my time in mother care that was a maternity cover um but in mother care what I found was almost like when I went to the airport retailer where um the siloed of uh, signers of a big organization were no longer there. Um, I had lots of influence. I was able to um, spot an issue, problem, gap, um, have those conversations at a strategic level around, you know, what are we trying to achieve? How does it support the bottom line? And then how do we then engineer backwards and what the solution is? Um, brilliant. Loved it. And I had a leader who was super hardworking 
um, expected a lot from her team and some people thrived in that and others did not. And I thrived in that. Um, and we still, we still talk to this day. This was God, how many years ago? Like 10 years ago, I think it was, but we still talk and she's still very much a huge supporter. That's fascinating. And there is a saying that people don't leave an organization, they leave their manager. You've mentioned the relationship between you and your your boss several times. Do you think that's probably one of the most important relationships for managers in any organization? Definitely, definitely. You know, I won't say it's 100% the, uh, the, um, the reason why people stick or why people leave. It'll never be 100%, but it's a huge, a huge part. And I think especially in... Um, I'd say especially in larger organizations where you can move, you can, um, you can um, have different experiences. Um, I definitely know if, if I think about Arcadia, if I think about uh, Tesco um, as an example as well, I know that my experiences based on the leader I had at the time were very different and how I felt about the organization at the time, uh, those times as well were very different as well. Interesting. So where next then? Next, so McDonald's, McDonald's after that. So interesting organization, really interesting. And what I found was, I think, um, as a, a consumer, McDonald's seems very bright and shiny and doing different things and, you know, front edge and leading edge when it comes to marketing and all those beautiful things, which it absolutely is. When you join the organization, the really interesting thing is that um, the leadership style is quite traditional in certain ways um in a great way in terms of 100,000 people you know however many restaurants however many franchises there has to be very clear ways of working to maintain that consistency so it's beautiful in that respect um but also traditional values in terms of caring which I don't know why I wouldn't have expected it but I didn't. I'm not sure why I didn't, but I didn't. Um, and in the way that um, the organization has a huge charitable giving arm, um, and that's really important, Ronald McDonald's house. And again, nothing I was aware of um, before I joined the organization. And then, and then again, that piece around uh, behaviors and values is really, really important in the organization. Sounds like you found a bit of love there, which is, is your watchword. Yes, yes, it is. It is. So lo- love in terms of, and this is where I'm going to come back to, and isn't always necessarily just the leader. So I think I had experienced this beautiful freedom and freedom to develop, freedom to strategize, and all these beautiful things in um, in mother care. So coming back into a very structured way of working, and everyone's got their very clear lines of sight. Like I said, for great reasons because of the size and sheer scale and consistency that you want to achieve. That piece didn't work for me anymore. That piece didn't work for me. So I loved lots of things, but there were some things that, you know, little frustrations here and there. And I'm a very broad thinker. I'm not very, I'm not a silent thinker. So I'd look at something thinking, oh, if only we could sort that bit out, then it would connect quite beautifully with everything else. But it's like, no, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Stay in your, in your, stay in your lane. So lots of beautiful things, but time to move on. So where after McDonald's then? Then um, Argent Foods, which is an international um, organization, um, which is where we met. That's when we met. Um, so again, another, so back to um, Big Fish, Small Pond, that's that's where I love to be. Um, another beautiful organization. So the food industry, um, depending which parts, this is more the growing and the, you know, the beginning part of the food chain. 
quite traditional in lots of ways. Um, if you're thinking about diversity and inclusion, not so much <laughs> there yet. Um, if we're thinking about um, leadership behaviours and how we show up, not quite there yet either. It's quite traditional. You rock up to work, you do your job, you get paid, and that's pretty much as far as the as the um, as the uh, relationship goes. Not not quite that really. It's a bit more than that, but it's almost on that end of the scale in the industry itself. Um, but really lovely, beautiful, values driven people. So the leaders in that organization, more so than the others that I, I'd come across, were. Definitely commercial, you know, I'm not going to suggest they're not commercial at all, but that wasn't the first thing that they worried about. That wasn't the first um, um, conversation they'd lean into. Um, a lot of that was around relationships and um, you had so much longevity of service. You had suppliers that had almost grown up together with the organization over decades and things, which, again, is very different to what I've seen before, which was very you know, you're, you're our supplier, this is what you need to provide. If you can't do that, we're going to get another one. You know, here it is quite different. Um, and that was really nice, actually, because that's quite some learning for me as well, or definitely some some insights that I took in and, and have sort of built into how I work. Um, again, back to those relationships and that beautiful respect and mutual respect both ways. It's unusual to find a culture that is genuinely like that and values relationships with all the stakeholders as opposed to just being commercially focused um so very enjoyable time so at that time i'm guessing that's when your thoughts and vision for um mahogany came up well no that isn't interestingly it isn't um so so yeah definitely that piece it doesn't come back to what you've just said around that genuine stakeholder piece really 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 important but i think what was missing from the people which i brought in to the organizations from the people point of view was then applying that strategic intentional piece around the uh, relationship with our people and back to that bottom line and you know how do we engage our people and actually um, that generational piece was really huge in that organization because a lot of the leaders because they grew up with the organization some of them owned the different parts that they that they led they'd been in that for 30 40 years and they tend to be a different generation so in that generation you did come to work you got paid and then you went home and just helping them make those connections between one, our generations are different. You know, there's an expectation around well-being. There's an expectation around um, engagement. There's an expectation around growth and things like that was was really important for them. So I think in any culture, you can have that the beautiful pieces, but other parts can still be missing. And how do you weave that in? Um, but back to your last question around when I started thinking about uh, mahogany, I actually started thinking about mahogany, I wouldn't have called it that at the time, um, when I was in Tesco, when I was in Tesco. And some of that was around um, looking at different management styles and even within even within lots of huge structures, looking at how they operated and the impact that had. And I saw a bit of a need to support, help people make those connections, leaders make those connections between how you show up, who you are, and then the impact has on your team. But equally, equally, how you show up and who you are and how it has an impact on you, actually, how can you show up as your true self? How can you show up as authentic you without having to wear a, I'm now a manager hat and then show up, or I'm now speaking to this person hat and then, yeah, so there was that. So six months ago, about six months ago, I found something in my loft and um, it was a, a 
A3 uh, piece of paper, so flip chart, there we go, a couple of flip chart sheets that I'd written when I was still in Tesco. And I had written um, three things that I wanted to do. There was no time frame. There were just ideas in my head. So one was uh, to start a um, online shop selling black dolls uh, for us. That's one. Uh, the other was to uh, start a HR consultancy to support organizations and to support leaders as they develop their people. And then the third was to write a book. Um, so the interesting thing is that when I found this, I had uh, started my doll business, um, which I had for for, for six years. Um, and then um, I closed it off when I started Mahogany. Obviously, I've started Mahogany as well, so now I've just got to write the book. But it's something that I just written. I'd forgotten about it. I wrote it down and I sort of mapped it all out and had a little spider chart of the different things I'd be thinking about. And then it was in my loft. I was like, oh, my goodness, I'd forgotten I'd done this. And yeah. So I thought about Mahogany actually a long, long, a long time ago. In Argent, that is when I definitely said, right, let's look at this. Let's do this. And there are lots of different reasons around that. One, um, which is probably a learning that people talk about often is in my head, I thought I'd be super fulfilled. I would love my job once I became an HR director. This is a long time ago. Oh, when I get there, it'll be this. And when I get there, it'll be that. Um, and it was a lot of those things, but not all of those things for me. I still didn't feel that sense of huge fulfillment. Um, and then also what I recognize about myself as well is that I love a challenge. I love um, newness. I love knowing I can make an impact. Um, and therefore, that's probably why actually I was promoted so quickly in lots of different roles. When I looked back, I'd never done a single role for more than two years. Never have, because I was then progress to the next one or get promoted or whatever that may be. Whereas in this role, this was the longest I've been in a role as well. So I started finding myself thinking, what can I do next? And how can I build on that? I'm a coach as well. I haven't mentioned that. I also end up coaching, um, I ended up coaching a lot of senior leaders. And when we talked about issues such as diversity and inclusion, or there was this huge reticence of leaders to engage in the conversation. And the reason for that is that they felt their identity as white men, which most of them were, meant that either diversity and inclusion wasn't about them or they felt as though they couldn't engage because they didn't want to uh, say the wrong thing, um, upset someone, uh, be seen as a sexist or a homophobe or someone who's racist by saying the wrong thing. So because of those reasons, they disengaged. Now, with any change, um, and especially societal change, which is what we're talking about when it comes to discrimination and you know diversity and inclusion, you need everybody involved, right? You need every single person involved. And actually, diversity and inclusion is about everyone. It's about everyone feeling that they have a voice. It's about everyone feeling that they have um, the opportunity to thrive in an organization. Um, and then also, if you don't have your leaders on board in organizations, that change is not going to happen in the right way. And it's not going to happen um, in, in a sustainable way either. Change can still happen, but without your leaders on board, it's not going to happen. Um, and then I sort of understood also where they were coming from in that the way the conversation sometimes had, you can see why people might want to step back from it. You can see why it feels like people are pointing fingers. Some of the stuff. So I thought, hmm, there's, there's definitely some support that I can give there. Um, also in terms of um, HR as a profession, being able to make those connections between the businesses why and why the organization exists in the first place 
and how that connects to what we do as a people function, we're not always very good at yet. I want to say yet because I'm hopeful. We're not always that strong at, at that, are we? Um, so I felt like there's some support I can do around that and then making that link with diversity and inclusion. And then also my own lived experience, sort of growing up in the UK as a black child, um, growing in my career, I've not mentioned some of the um, interesting experiences, but growing up in my career as, as, a, as a black person as well, there were definitely experiences that I've had that I sort of vowed and still continue to this day, um, want to ensure that they don't happen to other people, regardless of their, of their identity. Um, so I guess those three things, my experience, my lived experience, um, my um, desire to support leaders and to make the conversation safe so they can take action. And then my knowledge of HR and how that operates came together um, with uh, the idea around Mahogany Inclusion Partners. And are you now fulfilled? <laughs> definitely, definitely. I feel, I feel so blessed. I feel so blessed in doing what I do on a daily basis. Um, the purpose of Mahogany Inclusion Partners is to make the world a more inclusive place. Uh, and how we do that is around um, supporting organisations to create cultures where everybody can thrive. Everybody has the opportunity to thrive and making the conversation safe as well. It's not a lovely conversation to have necessarily. I'd love to not have to speak about this. I'd love to be thinking about something else, you know, because can't we just be nice to each other, <laughs> you know, intentionally good to each other and, you know, treat people right. Um, but the fact that we're able to do it in a way that people are engaging, leaders are engaging, is so beautiful. And it has this ripple effect as well, because I often hear leaders saying, we had this conversation, even if it's about race, as an example, you've helped me understand some things that I didn't understand before, but guess what? I was at the dinner table speaking to my wife, or I was at the dinner table speaking to my family, and we're now having these conversations, and we're now expanding our understanding. It's such a beautiful thing. That must be very rewarding because you're going beyond the workplace, and you're in, you're enabling people to be more confident and get involved, as opposed to shy away from it. So that must be one of the biggest rewards uh, uh, on top of everything else that you get out of it. It really is, really is, and and giving people that confidence, you know. Um, and it's such a human thing. It's not. It's even outside of the workplace. It's just us as humans. We're we're all amazing. We're all beautiful, and difference is a beautiful thing. We don't have to run away from it. And yeah, it's yeah, it's amazing. I don't even know how to describe it. It's amazing. <laughs> and and again, um, if we look back then at some of those less than pleasant experiences, what advice would you give to your younger self? I think that the advice would be: be you. You're perfectly imperfect as you are. And things that would run through my mind at the time, I'd probably just reiterate some of that. You know, um, I'm a Christian, I'm a woman of faith. Um, so some, so I used to always say to myself, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. Forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. And like, I wouldn't, I'd try not to get angry about it. Um, and just believe in myself as well, because there were things that were said to me in my career, such as, as you can see, I have Afro hair. That's the way my hair grows because that's how it grows naturally. But I was told on a number of occasions by two different leaders in two different organizations, HR leaders, by the way, um, that I was great at my job. I was really good at, at what I was doing and I was uh, meeting all the um, parameters I had to meet. The only thing was I just didn't look very professional. Um, so they suggest that I straighten my hair. Yeah. Relax, you're straight in your hair um, and then you'll be seen as more professional. So it didn't matter that I was delivering. It didn't matter that I had great relationships. 
the one thing that they had an issue was with my hair, which is naturally like this. Um, and a few other things that were, were said. And yeah, so I think, yeah, the thing would be one, not to take it personally as crazy as it sounds because it is personal, but but then also just to keep believing in who you are and be who you are, be your authentic you. Because for a period of time, I did straighten my hair, which wasn't great. wasn't great for my scalp. I've got sensitive scalp, all these things. Um, and then equally, there was a time when I did try to act in a different way because I'm very open and very extrovert and all of these things. That's just who I am. And as you can see, I move my hands around a lot when I speak. But there were moments where I tried not to do that, to dim that down a little bit and calm it down a little bit. But it just took too much energy to do that. And then I couldn't perform as me because I wasn't being me. So It's hard work to try and be somebody else. How have things changed then since then? I think things have changed for the better. Um, I'm not going to say 100% because clearly we're not there yet. But I think, one, we're able to have better conversations, um, which we didn't we didn't before. And I think... Uh, a lot of that was um, the pandemic, um, which was horrible in many ways for many people. Um, what it also did do is it gave the human race, I suppose, almost a common a common enemy. It's um, a challenge for all of us. And it kind of humanized uh, a lot of how we saw each other and how we behaved. Even in organizations, you saw leaders talking more about their people and well-being in a way that they hadn't before. Um, and then when the murder of George Floyd happened, I think people were ready, I guess, to look at it at, at a, as a human, as a human issue. So I think moments like that, so the pandemic and then the murder of George Floyd have definitely changed things in that we're having conversations, we're taking, we're taking action. Um, there's still work to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and there probably always will be. Yes, I mean, I hope not. I hope not. I pray for the day, as odd, as odd as it sounds, where my role no longer exists, where we don't need to talk about diversity and inclusion because we're just doing the right thing. And if someone's great at their job, brilliant. If they're not good at their job, then they're not. We can either help them in their job to support them to get better, or we can help them to find something that they are going to be good at. And that's all that fact is, not someone's gender, not someone's sexuality, not, you know, anything like that. Now, you've seen a lot of managers, um, have read a lot, know a lot. Um, what would you say the characteristics of a really good manager are? I think a really good manager understands, and I'm going to use the word which you don't hear in business very often, but understands love. I'm going to use that word because that's, that's the word I use. I don't know if you can see it. You can probably see it behind me, like, <laughs> that's 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 my word and it can mean different things and um for me uh love and kindness we can call it kindness at work at work if it, if it feels a bit more comfortable for people but kindness at work is um caring about people caring about the people who work for you uh, and that you're leading it doesn't mean being involved in their lives and everything else unless if, unless they really want you to be but it's really about these are human beings who have feelings who have emotions who have desires and really connecting with that at the same time connecting with your why as a leader you know why am I a leader what does it matter to me and you know um who am I as a leader and then also connecting with the why of the organization so there's three things I guess around that the why of the organization the why of my department and therefore the why of this person's role so we've got clarity around that and then it's around how do I help this person deliver that why of that role and that's my role as a leader to help them do that. 
And helping them do that um, includes setting the stage in terms of here are the expectations of the role, here's what we need from the role, and here are the outcomes, here's how I'll support you. Um, But actually, let's have a really good two-way conversation around what do you need? What additional stuff do you need from me? Do you need from the organization? But also some ownership. What are you going to do to ensure that you deliver the why? When people aren't delivering, it's you're not being mean, you're not being horrible, um, you don't get HR to do it for you. You have that conversation around, we talked about the expectations, how do you think you're doing? Because you want to hear from them as well. Here's how I think you're doing that together. How do we plug that gap for you? How do we fix it for you? Do you think uh, good people managers are born or um, skilled? I think skilled. I think, you know, yes, there are some people and we know that, don't we? There are, we, we have different preferences, we have different abilities, or some people are naturally great in terms of um, talking to people and being engaging, etc. Often, though, we know we can assume we can assume they're good leaders, but they're probably good leaders when things are great. But often those people aren't great leaders when things aren't going so well. And I'll speak to myself in that I love positive conversations, etc. But I don't love the conversations that aren't so positive. I've learned very quickly that actually it's kinder to let someone know that they're not where they, where we want them to be at that point in time. It's kinder to have that conversation with them in a compassionate way. It's kinder to help them. There's certain characteristics that maybe are more aligned with engaging leadership and everything else, but actually it's, it's a skill you develop. I think it's a great point that it's easier to be a great leader when everything's going perfectly, but when, when it gets tough, that's when you have to step up. Tell us your recommendations for books, people, websites. Where do you go to keep up to date and what's your real must reads? My list is not really necessarily a typical leadership. My list tends to be more around um, us as humans, understanding who we are, um, how we operate and some commonalities around human beings as well, but also understanding ourselves as well and how we operate. Um, so the first um, the first. Uh, book that I have that I listed was uh, a lady called Iyanla Vansant um, and her book is around forgiveness and the reason I picked that book and I, I sort of leaned into that book is from a relationship remember I talked about relationships and that's the really important piece around how you relate with your um, people in your team how you relate with your suppliers leaders you know colleagues etc and that piece around forgiveness is is really important and if you think to what I said earlier around when I did um, um, experience discrimination, you know, the thing that kept me from, a, I guess, maybe getting really upset or getting really angry was, you know, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they do. And so I think that piece is really important. People will annoy you. People, people will upset you. Um, most of the time, unintentionally. They're just busy thinking about their own thing and they're, they think they're doing the right thing for them. Sometimes intentionally, who knows, but that piece around forgiveness um and then we've got um this is a book this is a, a leadership book the five dysfunctions of a team uh patrick um m lencioni this book i read in one afternoon a really easy read um a really brilliant way of sort of uh, talking about issues that can occur in a team and then what you can do about them there's told told in a story there's a leadership team that go on a retreat etc cetera, etc cetera. brilliant read and really really easy as well um, and then we have the seven level framework for mastery in life and in business. So in life and in business. Uh, and it's called um, Energy Leadership, uh, Bruce Schneider. And this is another book that's told um, as, a, as a story. And it's about our own mindsets and where we are. There are seven different levels. I'm not going to go through right now. 
but they start with um, feeling like a victim and your mindset around that. Everything's everybody else's fault. You can't fix anything. Um, you know, the world is doomed. My situation's doomed. That kind of thinking that, you know, we can all find ourselves in those places sometimes, depending what's happening, but then the impact that has on those around you. But it also helps you recognize others that may be in that mindset and then how you can help them get to hopefully level seven. Um, then we have, uh, this one's quite funny, this uh, this um, author called Lovey, Lovey Ajay Jones, and her book is called The Fear Fighter Manual. And this is about being authentically you and speaking your mind in a respectful way. So none of these are in any kind of an antagonistic way, but in a respectful way, but being clear about who you are as a person and how you show up in the world. And also that bit around, even if you think people are being unkind or, or mean or whatever it may be, or unhelpful, most of the time it's not about you. It's about them and what's happening for them. So I love that book. And then there's Priya Parker, The Art of Gathering. Now, this is brilliant in terms of um, meetings and when you're getting together with people, whether that's um, in the workplace, whether that's actually, I don't know, dinner parties at home, what that may, may be, and how you can really... Um, be intentional about how you spend time with people. Um, time is a precious, precious resource. So how can you be intentional about how you spend time with people and why they're showing up to your meeting and how you can make that great? Um, so that's the books. And then where I go for information, uh, the first one is business related. So Harvard Business Review, they um, have everything about everything <laughs> all the time, which is brilliant, which is absolutely brilliant. You can dip in as as and when you need to. You can get, they get that specialist deep knowledge as well the rest are coaches. Um, so a woman called Lisa Nichols. And I signed up for one of her courses, I think about five years ago, which is really interesting. It's about speak to inspire. And it's about how you use your voice and how you show up authentically, common theme, authentic in, in my stuff, about how you show up authentically, which is brilliant. So uh, I definitely suggest her. Another coach and speaker, Mel Robbins. Um, and she's very much about empowering people to make things happen, being intentional, um, she has this five second thing that she does around if you really don't want to do something and you want, you want to just get yourself to do it, just give yourself, just count down to five if you really want to do it and then just do it, just do it. And I often use it in the morning when I'm going to the gym. I'm like, no, I don't want to get to the gym. I don't. I'm just like, okay, five, four, three, two, one, then go. Off I go. So that's Mel. Uh, Jay Shetty, another coach. And um, he's, um, he's great in terms of he loves love, talks about love relationships but also how we choose to show up as well so again another common theme you'll see around that so for me relationships and so that's where I tend to go and then apply um apply all of that knowledge to how I lead and how I show up as well brilliant I'm definitely going to use the five see if that helps me get stuff done that's great Aggie it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for some fabulous recommendations and above all for bringing some love to the podcast it's been a real pleasure thank you very much for your time thank you thank you Pete Thanks for listening to the Managing People podcast. I hope you found it informative and useful. All the information mentioned is in the notes on the podcast page, and I hope you check out the other episodes. See you next time.